Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. On today's podcast, we'll look ahead at Eric Ten Hag's arrival in Manchester his to-do list after arriving at Old Trafford. And we'll also talk about, well, maybe a certain game at Old Trafford on Monday after this that we are all played. And I'm sure we'll divulge the details soon enough. But I guess to introduce them, we've got a shot stopper, Tyron Marshall. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. We'll come on to your heroics soon, I'm sure. Tear myself up. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what dirty defender Samuel Luckhurst was. Lucky not to see red at Old Trafford. Uh, this that was my homage to it was my homage to Ole and his his foul on on Rob Lee all those years ago. But unlike Ole, I only got a, a yellow card rather than a red card for that. Yeah. So anyone listening, we were all privileged and lucky enough to play in the sort of media day at Old Trafford on Monday. Uh, we we completed the hat trick. Tyrone terrific game in goal. Samuel, like we said, should have been sent off, but you know, <laughs> yellow card was given. I suppose I, I did score a goal, but I don't want to brag about it too much. Um, I've now scored as many Please. as the Marshall at Old Trafford this season. So, exactly. you know, that's going, that's going on my wiki. It was, it was a fine goal as well, Rich. It was superbly taken. You you put your body on the line, you got hit by the keeper, but you, you dinked the ball over him. Hopefully, the photographer has, has got a, a, a money moment of it here. <laughs> yeah, well, at least we've got an audio recording of it now. It did happen. I can I can promise you it was actually Definitely factual. Did. And <laughs> sadly, Eric Ten Hag wasn't at Old Trafford to watch me score my goal, but uh, he is all but United manager now. Samuel, of course, he always said that his focus was going to be on finishing the season of Ajax. They won a league last Wednesday. They had their final game of the season at the weekend. And I, like you said before we came on air, Eric Ten Hag effectively is the Manchester United manager now. Yes, uh, for, fortunately, it's, it's not. No, there's, there's not been a, a twist or any more turns there. But he's he sounded the right note. I think on you know, he started on a, on the right note. I should say, with what he said post match um, after Ajax's uh, final game of the season on Sunday. I think that was against Vitesse Arnhem. So he, he's managed them for the last time. He's pretty much in United mode. Full time now. He was at an accru- a recruitment meeting with with Murta and Steve McLaren and uh, Mitchell Van der Garg, his his assistant, who's going to come over to Manchester with him. And just just looking, reading those comments uh, they gave. I think was it to Zigo uh, that, that mm. they might be the right holders. And he's done a a big interview in the Telegraph as well, which is is the main newspaper in Holland, as I'm sure a lot of United fans remember from from when Louis van Gaal um, was, was coming over to Manchester, the, the Telegraph were getting quite a lot of, of stories about um, van, van Gaal's move to United. And yeah, I think he's, you know, he's, he's saying things that United want him to say. Uh, the fact that he said that you, you've got to manage the dressing room and if you don't do that, then you're onto a loser pretty much. That's reassuring because that's, that's where it starts really. Um, the, the, the authority of the United managers eroded in the last four years, and it's been restored now with with Ten Hag coming in, not just as a permanent manager, uh, which is you know, 
the, the whole interim exper- experiment has been a complete disaster. And Rangnick is clearly a, a pretty bad manager, even though he does talk a great game. But Ten Hag is also a disciplinarian, which is vital. It's, it's one of those character traits that, in, in the process that Murta and Darren Fletcher have gone through in, in identifying the, the new United manager, that, that was probably more important than, than the coaching aspect. I think there are a lot of good coaches in in European football these days, um, whether it's someone like just thinking of Jean-Pierre Gasparini at Atalanta or Unai Emery uh, up to a point with with certain Spanish clubs. You know, coaches have ceilings, but they can they can still punch above their weight and and do very well. And in, in the case of Ten Hag, a little bit like with Emery as well. Not not to compare the two because I'm sure that's an unflattering comparison that United fans are thinking, what the hell that's are you doing? That's good on the aggregate accounts that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but they they're two two coaches who have done good jobs with um uh, you know, not not unfashionable. I ex an an unfashionable side, but they're not expected to to get to the semi-finals of the Champions League or be as successful as as they have been necessarily. And those two coaches have done it with players who have, have you know, struggled in the Premier League, so that they improve players of of certain standings. But in Ten Hag's case, I think the the makeup of the squad is obviously it's crucial for next season. But he's got to stamp his his authority on that dressing room, and he's got to um, you know whip, whip them into shape. He's got to really just stress to them that what happened this season is unacceptable and can never be allowed to happen again. And the fact that he's already said, I think he would describe Ronaldo as a giant, that, that will go down well with supporters. And again, if, if you were to bet at the moment, it feels likely that Ronaldo then will stay rather than go. But it was, it was interesting to see. It's, it's probably nothing because he's he's friends with the guy anyway. But uh, he was he was with uh, Edu Aguirre, who El Chiringuito um, enthusiasts will recognise from his telenovela style of of punditry and journalism um, at midnight in Spain, and, and he's you know he's pretty much a Real Madrid mouthpiece. So you, you you're probably braced for him to break an exclusive hour on Ronaldo being receptive to rejoining uh, Real Madrid sometime this summer. I, th- I think he actually did something like that the week before Ronaldo ended up signing for for United <laughs> in August. So I really wouldn't put it beyond. Um, El Chiringuito coming up with something like that but at the moment it seems like Ronaldo the, the, just the way he gestured to the supporters even at the end of the Brighton game it, it, and, and what Ten Hag is, is saying it feels likely that he will stay rather than go but there's a hell of a lot of work to be done um, with, with some of the other players who there are question marks over their futures and, and in most of the cases it's, it's not really a question mark it's just a case of can you actually get them off the books and get them out of the club yeah, well, someone who scored at Old Trafford myself this weekend, I, I know how Ronaldo feels being let down by his teammates. So <laughs> I do understand the, the issues at play for him. Um, Ty, in terms and you of Ronaldo as well, Rich. Don't forget well, that. Yeah, well, that sounds arrogant. I, I put my hand in the box, you, and the shirt that I picked was number seven. It, the the number chose it. me. You stuck you with know, it. Number chose you, me. You backed it up. You backed it up in fairness. Yeah. Exactly. I'm fascinated to see. You've got to dine off the glory of this. <laughs> I'm fascinated to see how you get your goal into every question on this podcast as well. It's it's two out of two, so <laughs> keep it going. I think I think I, I think that's me out. I think I'm cashing out now. <laughs> All right. In terms of Ter- Ten- Eric Ten Hag's arrival, then what do you think is going to be top of his to do list? Whew. Um I mean tra- transfers. It's 
season next year and, and how they get on, I think. I think that, you know, there's inevitability that how many players they sign and which players they sign are going to have a major impact. But I also think getting the players on board and working on the training ground is going to have an impact as well. It was interesting to see Ten Hag in that interview say that there are a lot of good players at United and you need to get them functioning as a team. And I think it's pretty obvious that's not been happening for a long time now. Individually, those United players are pretty decent. And I know fans are all at the end of their tether with them, but we talk about letting players go of, of wanting Maguire out or Rashford out. I don't think it'd be a surprise if United sold, take those two for an example, sold them this summer and they went somewhere and played really well. You know, I don't think anyone would be particularly shocked if that happened. One of the big issues is, you know, the, the game has changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years and players now, I imagine those United players are looking at what's happening in City and Liverpool and are tremendously jealous because they are players that are drilled into minute detail on the training ground into exactly what their role is, what moves they've got to make, what positions they've got to take up. They play a set system every week and the managers that have been there a while and function as one part of a team of 11, basically. Everyone performs their roles and it all gels together. That hasn't happened at United for a long time. I mean, to a degree, Mourinho's that, not that type of manager. Solskjaer certainly wasn't. Solskjaer's United were built entirely on, on moments of individual brilliance, really. There was no cohesion. They don't play as a team to the extent that City or Liverpool or even Chelsea play as a team. Ranić's teams in the past have done, but you know he's been out of the game as a coach for a long time, as we've said numerous times now. He didn't win over the players. He brought in two jokers basically as his as his coaches, and it was it was never going to work. So I think yeah, those players it does sound like Monday. Does sound a lot like Monday, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think those players are probably crying out for some coaching. I did a story a few weeks ago that the, the concerns in the dressing room are about his force of personality and strength of character. Really, he's he's pretty taciturn. I think in in Holland, he's not a big character. He's not a big talker. He's not a big emotional leader. But he is, you know, he, he and, and that's that's a potential issue joining a dressing room with the egos of United. That's all pointing in different directions. But what he is, he's a very good coach and a very good training ground manager. And I think that's probably what United need most of all because those players are crying out for that sort of cohesion. I think if United get it players could find a lot of an improvement. So I think we'll see that in the summer. I spoke, I did a piece on Saturday speaking to a, a Dutch, an Ajax fan and author and journalist who's written a book on Ajax's birth, basically, of which Ten Hag played big points in. He said he'd spoken to a lot of players for it and they all said the same thing, that he's, his man management, you know, he's not a big one for man management. It's not a strength of his. But what he is, is incredibly detailed on the training ground and I think that'll work. He described him as, as the best Ajax manager since... Louis van Gaal, which is a bigger compliment in Amsterdam than it sounds in Manchester. <laughs> I was going to say, to, I was just going to add this quickly to you, Ty, as well. Do you then think that maybe the rebuild job this summer isn't as big as some people are making out? I know, obviously, the Randy comment on they might need new, 10 new players was you know, hyperbole, really. But if you, if you can get those players who are already there playing well and confident again, then maybe you do only need three or four new faces. Yeah, possibly. I think there's, you know, I think there's obvious issues in the squad. I mean, the midfield is still very short. Um, McTominay's a squad player at best. They need a holding midfielder. I think they need another sort of progressive number eight. I don't think they've got a good enough right back. Um, they need another centre back, but I still think in, in a good system, Maguire can improve and can be a can be a good defender. Um, you know, Rashford. I wouldn't be giving up on Rashford this year, um, this summer. 
So, you know, there's the argument that, you know, it's a little bit of guesswork, this, but the players have obviously lacked elite-level coaching to the degree that they're, a lot of their England teammates are getting at City and Liverpool. That's painfully obvious that that's been the case for three and a half years, that they've not had that elite-level coaching. You know, for some, that time won't be recoverable. For, you know, Rashford, I think, has suffered from that, and maybe it's long-term, it's going to impact his career. Maybe Tenard can, can get him playing with confidence again and get him slotted into a system, but it might be that those lost years to a degree uh, have basically ruined his chances of playing at a club of United stature. And I disagree that, you know, there's always the degree that players have got to help themselves, but I wouldn't be surprised if come October, November next year, at least two or three, maybe of the players that United fans think are done and are finished and want out are actually playing quite well in a team that's got proper structure and, and proper coaching behind it. Yeah, exactly. United need players who don't lack fight. And speaking of which, Samuel, you did the story, you know, that there was that training gap ground scuffle last week, which, you know, caused a lot of speculation on social media. Obviously, we're not going to be in a position to name names, etc. But what is it you can tell us about that that training ground scuffle and well, maybe it, it, the severity it was, of it? All? It was our esteemed manager, Neil Custis, who, who <laughs> wrote the story uh, on, was it Friday or, or Saturday? Mm. And um, yeah, fortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, Neil, Neil got the story really, really great get. Um, and after the story came out, I was I was told who the two players were involved. And as I said, we don't, we shouldn't really need to outline the reasons why we can't name them. But there are some, some, some well, frankly, some idiots on social media. There are a lot of idiots on social media, but this is a specific pool of idiots who um, are outraged that you know we haven't named them and. I, I suspect there are probably some cranks out there who think we're protecting them because they might be our mole in the camp or the, the, the rat in the dressing room. Uh, I mean, on a tangent, this this um, this conspiracy theory that that Lee Grant is a snake and he's the one who's been leaking everything because of his was it talk sport he did the interview with in September about Ronaldo and the desserts is is just it hilarious. It just all it takes is one unverified, unsubstantiated. Um, one account on Twitter that ha- hasn't got a clue, frankly, to peddle something and put it out there and everybody jumps onto it. It, it is amusing seeing some of the tweets and the theories of, as to who the two players involved were. Um, and, and one of our colleagues was, uh, I saw a post just having a li- little look in really to see what fans were saying. And it was this load, essentially someone took a, took the text and said, oh, so-and-so wrote this and this is what happened. And the journalist didn't write anything of the sort. And you, I didn't even need to check that they hadn't written anything of the sort because legally it's just not sound. But as I said, it was it, it gave me something to do a piece on. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't find it as much of an issue or as much of a problem as some United fans seem to have made out um, about it. Uh, I, I get the whole cliche that oh it happens every week and everything. I, I don't I don't necessarily go along with that. And when these things do come to light, or there's photographic or, or video evidence of them, as was the case in the infamous John Hart's Niall Berkovich one at West Ham in in 1998, there there is you know there is a fundamental issue. Hartson was sold not long after that video emerged. Uh, I think the last thing Mario Balotelli really did in in Man City. Uh, regalia was to get involved in that tangle with Roberto Mancini and by the end of the month he'd been sold to to AC Milan 
So sometimes it is serious. It, going off the United-related one, when Van Nistelrooy made that uh, comment to Ronaldo about, it was along the lines of, I'll, I'll go and cry to daddy, meaning mm. Carlos Eros, but this was about seven or eight months after Ronaldo's father had died. Ronaldo took it the wrong way and and it caused uh, you know it caused an issue there and then Van Nistelrooy was dropped from the final from the squad for the final day of the season and he was sold that summer so sometimes these training ground scuffles they do have you know repercussions down the line I'd actually expect um the two players if if it's really a case of narrowing it down I'd expect them to both be in the squad this weekend against Crystal Palace uh as as I said and alluded to in the piece that there is you know, there's quite a, an age gap between them. I saw someone say, well, that leads me to conclude that it can only be Ronaldo and Pogba, as if, you know, I mean, Pogba's not even training at the moment. So <laughs> this is what I mean. When you get into, when you deep, when you dive into the rabbit hole, it is so dark, you're never ever going to be enlightened um, when it comes to social media and that side of things. But, you know, it's 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 useful colour and, and, and interest and, um, maybe one day their, their names will come to light. But I, I also have a sneaky suspicion when the names do come out, people will probably say, well, that no wonder they didn't name them as if like, oh, they're, they're both underwhelming. I wouldn't say they're both underwhelming names, but, you know, I, I think there's probably some method in in the Sun's original story not naming them because it probably, it's probably worked as a as a really good story one and also by actually withholding the identities mm. of um, you know, it's it's caused people to keep on talking about it days on end. Yeah, exactly. It's just the not knowing, isn't it, that fans will... I think yeah, after hearing you, yeah. Samuel, they'll be even more hungry to find out now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, as, as I said, I, I you know, my, my lips are sealed. I, I can't, you know, if, if, if I speak, I'm in trouble, to, to quote the, the great man himself. <laughs> um, Ty, in terms of transfers then, looking at the summer... Um, Samuel's done the piece today saying, you know, that Newcastle is still interested in Dean Henson this summer. And do you think this is the summer United finally solved that unsustainable goalkeeping dynamic? Um, I mean, they've got to do something about it for for certain. And Dean Henderson's got to do something about it. His, you know, his career has nosedived spectacularly this season. I think he's been incredibly unlucky um, in, in terms of picking up COVID last year and the way it affected him when, it, it, to all intents and purposes, it sounds like he was going to start the season as number one. In the end, he's he's not going to play a minute of Premier League football this season. I think he's 25 now. When you know when United called him back from Sheffield United last season and kept him in the squad, and Aaron Ramsdale went to Sheffield United, I think everyone looked at Sheffield United and thought one of their big issues here, whether they're having a much poorer season, is because the goalkeeping situation. It, Ramsdale wasn't a good enough replacement for. For Henderson, and yet now you look at it, and Ramsdale is probably the closest player to to ousting Jordan Pickford as as England's number one. I think he's certainly England's number two at the moment. So, and Henderson's nowhere near that squad because he can't kick the ball for United. So I think he's got you know he's got to do something about it. United have got to do something about it. It'll be interesting to see how Ten Hag approaches it because and we've all we've all talked about De Gea this season. He's had a great season, but. He always has good seasons when he's got a lot to do. He makes a lot of saves. Um, and, you know, I know the feeling well. He's been a very busy <laughs> goalkeeper this season. Um, but that makes him look good because that's his strength. Shot stopping has always been his strength. What isn't his strength is coming off a heart, is coming off his line or, or claiming crosses. Um, you know, I, you I, talk about yourself in the third person now, Ty. Oh. 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm lapsing now. I'm struggling to work out who's who. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I did a piece with Eric Steele before De Gea went back to Atletico Madrid, and he was saying mm. how good he was at playing out from the back and, and sort of hitting diagonal passes to wingers and fullbacks. We don't really see it now, um, particularly. I think Edison and Allison have kind of changed how we regard playing out from the back as well. Um, you know, Ten Hag is, is a very modern manager. Ajax play a very high line. They've got a very quick back four. If you're going to play a high line, you need your goalkeeper to be a sweeper-keeper, basically, to be 20, 25 yards out, ready to intercept anything. I don't think that's a strength to De Gea. So it'll be interesting to see how Ten Hag approaches it. I mean, I, I think he's got enough on his plate in that team without taking out someone who's probably going to come second in the player of the season vote. So I, I think he'll stick with De Gea. I think Henderson will, will probably go, whether it's on loan or or permanently. Um, but you do wonder sort of how how the De Gea situation will pan out next year and whether he can do. I think if you if United suddenly start playing really well under Ten Hag and instead of having seven or eight saves to make a game, De Gea's got one or two to make a game, the focus will be on the other parts of his game. And I think we'll then see that maybe he's not such a natural fit for a Ten Hag team that maybe his, his passing out from the back isn't what he wants, that he isn't progressive or aggressive enough off his line. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops next year. But I don't I don't see it changing in pre-season or, or at the start of the season particularly. No, exactly. Uh, Samuel, in terms of transfers then, I mean, fans, as hungry they are for those two names that you were teasing before, they're hungry for transfers as well. I know it's a dangerous game to ever put a timeline or something, but do you expect United will be able to get some business done early this summer? They need to. Uh, if it's any consolation, when I tend to go on holiday in, in early June, they they tend to sign someone while I'm off. And I, I think I fly off on June the 6th. So I'm sure now there'll be some kind of countdown among some until I come back. And if they don't sign anyone, I'll, I'll get the blame for it. But they, they need to be proactive. I mean, City, you know, we've, we've spoken about the recruitment in, at City and Liverpool ad nauseum, but Haaland's already um, been been done. They want a midfielder. They want a left back. The the story this morning uh, that came out overnight, rather, about City telling Ilkay Gundogan he can leave, I think is quite, you know, it could have ramifications for United in terms of their interest for Frankie de Jong, because to me that almost looks like it's City ushering in Frankie, well, ushering out one player to usher in De Jong, who's a player that Guardiola did want in 2019, who City would be in link with um, uh, earlier this month. I think there was some unhappiness from some people at City over the De Jong report, but I'm not sure if they've completely knocked down the prospect of of signing him like they did with, with Declan Rice, because he is a player that you can absolutely see playing under Pep Guardiola. And of course, if City were to somehow get him, that would be galling for United because it's it's widely known now that, that Ten Hag has, has at least made an attempt to gauge the possibility of of reuniting with, uh, with, with De Jong at, at United. But if it doesn't happen, I don't think anybody would necessarily be surprised by that. I, I don't think United... Although they they are legitimate excuses to an extent with the changes in the scouting department, um, Matt Judge leaving as well and a new manager coming in. So there's an awful lot of upheaval that's going on. But in terms of the transfer targets and that strategy, they started having meetings about this summer back in September. They'd have drawn up a short list in 
in January um, as to the players to that that they would want. So I don't think they've really got a, a, a real genuine, credible, sorry, credible excuse to say, well, this is why this has been a difficult summer so far. They they really do need um, they knew they they just need a signing in June, I think, to be announced just to get supporters back on side. And of course, there's the um, there's the early start date for pre-season. Mm. They're due to leave um, something like the 8th of July or the 9th of July to, to go to Thailand for that first game against Liverpool, on which is on the 12th. And of course, every manager, ideally, they want as, as many new players in for pre-season training as possible. We all know that's not going to be the case with, I'd say, most clubs, not just United, because of the early start date and, and the window goes on until end of August. It's not like in 2018 or 2019 where you had that ridiculous rule that most of the Premier League clubs had voted in favour of the window closing before the season started. That that was just, I mean, I thought it was ridiculous at the time and the fact it was abandoned after just, just two years um, pretty much suggested that every most of the clubs thought that they'd made an error there. So you're not going to just say, oh, you know, because we've started pre-season and there's a month and a half left of the transfer window, we're not signing any players. That that would be that would be illogical. Ideally, you'd want them all in before the start of the season, which is August the sixth. But again, it's I, I don't really have any faith in United getting all their incoming sorted by that by that point. And and the situation is is ever changing, and it's it's pretty fluid as well. Because if they get one, I, I don't see a point where certainly between the transfer window opening and the transfer window closing, that United will have ticked off every conceivable box along the way. Like You look at it and you think, okay, get get a midfielder in, get a forward in, or get two midfielders in. Um, you know, Get the priority signings in, which would be a midfielder, a forward, and a centre-back. And then from there, you've got to start proactively selling players. We can't have this one one at a time nonsense that Matt Judge and Ed Wood uh, seem to favour. Uh, you, you get beyond that. Do you look at a backup keeper if if a goalkeeper's going? Is there a chance of getting rid of some fallback so you can bring a fallback in? There are a lot of things to address. I do not think we'll get to the end of the transfer window where United have addressed absolutely everything, and they'll have their own script for. Uh, in preparation for for them not doing that as well. In, in the case of the fullbacks, they can say, "Well, we invested in into highly promising Spanish uh, teenagers a couple of years ago. We have faith in them." And you think, "Okay, that's fair enough." And they they could also say, "Ethan Laird and Brandon Williams. We still regard them as um, useful squad players. Ethan Laird's got potential. Brandon Williams is experience." And you say, "Okay," and then you said, "You know, they could go on and on about the." the four senior fullbacks they've got and list all their merits until they come to Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And at that point, they just have to be quiet because there's not there aren't many merits about Aaron Wan-Bissaka anymore. So that's just a hypothetical scenario. But I, I certainly, I, I just don't think they can address absolutely everything in, in one window. I, I think there are a few clubs on the planet that have got it in them to do that. But United have just got so much to address. That it's not. It, I just don't think it's feasible to do it in the space of what three months. 
No, exactly. It's a massive job, and like you said, the, the the time constraint as well. There's a mitigation of you know midfield. Van der Beek comes back. You know you've got James Garner could come back. You know that might change the type of profile of play you're going for. First of all, you know there's there's so many little cogs in this involved. But Ty, as Samuel said, it does seem certain United will have to have to neglect some areas of the pitch. I was going to ask you which positions you almost prioritise, but it might make more sense to flip on its head, as in, as Samuel said, they were full-backs. Are there any areas of the pitch which do need renovation that you do just think will get overlooked this summer and will just have to be put on the back burner? Um, I mean, yeah, I think you mentioned it really in, in full-back, I guess. Um, it seems pretty... I mean, it seems pretty certain they're going to sign a midfielder and a forward and probably a centre-back. You'd say those are the three most likely... You'd even say maybe a second midfielder is is more important than than another fullback. Um, so I think in terms of the area that I, I think needs strengthening that won't get done, I think right back is is probably the one. Um, I think Luke Shaw at left back, you'd be okay with next season. I'm nowhere near convinced about Tellez as a backup, but you know right back, I, I don't see Dallow or Wambasaka as being good enough. But I'm just not sure that there will be a solution to that this year. Unless, of course, you know, we talk about potential centre-backs. Um, I mean, Ted Hag certainly seemed to hint in, in his the Telegraph interview that he, he likes Jorian Timber, who's who's played centre-half for him at, at Ajax. And I think he was talking about most of Europe is, is going to want him this year. There's an obvious attraction there in, in continuing to work with Ten Hag. He has played right back quite a bit, I think, for, um, for, for Ajax. So he could be a a centre-back slash right-back option, I guess, and, and could could fill that role for 12 months while he's while he's developing. So, you know, you're talking sort of slightly square pegs in, in round holes there. But, yeah, I think the most likely area that won't be um, worked on is right-back specifically. I think that's that's the area that I'd have concern about. I think it's, it's more likely they sign midfielder, centre-back and a, and a centre-forward ahead of that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's so much to do, isn't there, that it's going to be really interesting to see how it actually develops. So, Samuel, in terms of this week then, can we expect any more sort of updates from Ten Hag, do you think? Or do you think, for United's point of view, it is just a focus on finally finishing the season of Crystal Palace this weekend and then moving on to the Ten Hag era afterwards? I would have thought it would be logical to put something out from him this week through club media. As I said, someone from MUTV was at the Ajax game last week when they won the title. I, I don't know for certain whether that was in the capacity to to interview Ten Hag, but it feels like it was a you know an appropriate moment, an opportunity to to do that. We're gonna go what 15 days without United games. The only thing that's really you know the supports are lapping up at the moment is is stuff that's related to to Ten Hag and how proactive he is with starting his job, even though he's not set foot inside Carrington just yet. I know that it's always you expect the club to say that the team is fully focused on the weekend's game, but let's face it, although there's the possibility that United could end up in one of two different European competitions, and unfortunately for them, it's the two European competitions they don't want to be in. Most people want to hear from Ten Hag. Journalists do, supporters do. I'm sure the players do as well. I'm sure the players are uh, although that De Telegraph interview was obviously conducted in Dutch and was behind a paywall, the, the message will have got across and some will be aware of some of the things that he said in that interview as well because 
there'll be some players in that dressing room that are on tenterhooks as to what their role will be next season, whether they're staying at the club. In Harry Maguire's case, will he be captain next season? Uh, is there going to be a part two to the interview? Is there, are there more quotes to, to come from it as well? So although the season for United does end on Sunday, I do think that there will be something coming out from Ten Hag, whether it's an official unveiling shot or his first interview with with club media. Um, while they can maximise it, uh, well, just as he's as he's getting started, but in certainly with recent summer appointments of of United managers that have taken place in May, the club have then waited until July to do the press conference. Uh, I think there's a compelling case to say it's better to do it sooner rather than rather than in July, purely because. Um, the, the, the season the, the season starts earlier. There's a very small window to do that, um, to do an introductory press conference at the start of July, where you probably think from his perspective, he just wants to be uh, focusing on the training side of things, particularly because he's a new coach coming into a completely new environment and, and new players to manage. But as I said, most most of the time, these things are done in July, but there are changes for United at across several different departments. So maybe it's a, a change of approach there as far as the, um, the the communications go as well. Yeah, we'll see what the rest of the week holds. And Ty, like we said, that was the last game of the season against Palace this weekend. We'll be back later in the week to do a special podcast ahead of that. And of course, there'll be Ralph Rannick's final yeah, press conference as well on Friday. But the mood this week then, United obviously had this long break since they last played and it was that Brighton game as well. Do you think there is maybe an excitement that you know this weekend could almost be you know the end of these current times and there are there is hope on the horizon and you know this weekend we could see some of these youngsters that everyone clamours for to actually play a game. Do you think there is maybe a bit of light at the end of the tunnel? No, um, <laughs> I think you know there's, there's hope of a fresh start, but I can't really see many youngsters being involved. I think Garnacho will get more minutes than he did against Chelsea, but probably off the bench. Uh, are playing for something. They're playing for the Europa League ahead of the Europa Conference League, which I guess is the lesser of, of two evils. I don't think to us it makes much difference, but I guess you, you're saving some face by being in the Europa League. Um, so I, I can't, I, you know, I, I can't see a situation where four or five youngsters are, are being played. I think Rangnick will will still play his strongest team. As we've said a couple of times, you do fear a bit for United this year. The hope, I guess, is that the fact that Ten Hag is clearly watching intently now might might produce some improved performances, but I think a lot of them have checked out for the season a long time ago. There's been this huge gap without a fixture when you know all they want to do was was go on holiday and, and let this season die a death, really. So, you know, I don't think it's, it's kind of exciting and as fresh as this week has felt because of, of Ten Hag being so proactive, even you know, even being proactive remotely in Holland. Part of me does think that that when the when the football actually kicks off on Sunday, that will all be forgotten, and we'll we're probably in for another um, pretty grim ninety minutes, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, and the reality check of, of where they're at. But like we said, we will be back late in the week to look ahead properly to that Palace game, maybe dissect Ranić's final press conference and maybe give some early team news as well and predicted lineups and match predictions as well. So first week, thank you very much, Tyrone Marshall. Thank you, goal scorer, Rich Fay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Samuel Luckhurst. 
Thank you, Rich. I was also going to sign off as the, to, to you, the goal scorer, but Ty's done that for me. <laughs> well, I don't want to brag about it, but trust me, when those match pitches land, you will all know about it. Um, thank you very much, wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like, subscribe if you haven't already, and we will see you again 